so vastly abundant will be drawn upon. Seals mainly for their skins and blubber and penguins for their eggs yield valuable products. But owing to their comparatively limited populations, they are to be regarded as minor considerations. However, these, exploited conjointly with, say, white or blue fox farming, could more than maintain the existence of small posts established at selected accessible spots on the coast. One can only conjecture what Sir Douglas would have thought of the proposal to turn Antarctica into a world park. However, in the immediate post-war years, he was a forceful and influential advocate of Australia's need to explore and establish bases on the Antarctic mainland. A role acknowledged by Dr Philip Law, who was director of ANARI, Australian National Antarctic Research Expeditions, from 1949 to 66. Mawson was fundamental in persuading the government to set up the ANARE in 1947. It was he who made all the first moves. As you know, governments never do anything of their own initiative. Someone always has to push them into it. And it was Mawson who revived the whole business of Antarctica post-World War II and said the government, look, you, the war interrupted what we were trying to do, now let's get back onto it and get it done. And then he uh, persuaded them to set up the committee that they did, which later became the planning committee, and he was on it, and he was a strong influence on it because of his prestige. He identified himself as, as much as he possibly could. He was obviously, and so did J.K. Davis, both of them. They were our elder statesmen, they were our advisers, and if you managed to uh, become friendly with them, they would give you endless advice. I've got correspondence from Mawson giving details of what he would recommend. For instance, he, he hated zip fastness, because uh, if they get iced up, they're very dangerous. Take toggles, said old Douglas. Wooden toggles, they're the thing. Actually, when you got away from the metal zips, they were, they were very good. Better than wooden toggles. But uh, he was very good at giving advice, and he had his ear to the ground the whole time. Mawson was a delightful character, and impressive the way big men are impressive. He was a big-boned fellow, as well as being very tall, and he, he looked powerful. He was impressive if he came into a room. He had a good sense of humour, and he was very popular with his students, particularly the young lady students who hero worshipped him. He invited these students out to his, his home, and they were gathered around and came for time for tea and so on. And uh, he said, talking about the elephant seal, he said, the elephant seal makes a, a noise like this, and he gave a great full-throated bellow, you see. And he said, that's the elephant seal calling its mate. And a few seconds after the door opened, and in came Paquita Mawson. Did you call, dear? <laughs> Sir Douglas Mawson died in 1958 and not only lived to see Australian bases on the Antarctic mainland, but was actively involved in the planning for the first move south. The first reason for going, of course, was to drive a few more nails to secure Australia's claim to its Antarctic territory. Everyone realised that if we didn't get down there and do something, the Australian claim would wither on the vine, uh, particularly in view of the fact that the Norwegians in the 1930s had done more than Mawson in Australia's Antarctic Territory. 
And then the Americans in 1946 with Operation High Jump did a big circuit with aircraft carriers and photo flights to survey and so on. So it was obvious that we had to do something if we ever wanted the Australian claim to stand up. And it's significant that the first plan of ANARE was to have Macquarie and the reconnaissance. Heard Island was not in it. And the Heard Island bit was put in at the specific request of the British government, who said, Heard Island, our claimant is disputed by the Americans because they reckon they discovered it. The British say it was first sighted by an English miner. But certainly the first person to ever go there was an American. And the French island of Kerguelen is just a few hundred miles to the northwest. Oh, and the Germans.